0: welcome to the coaching through chaos podcast helping you conquer the chaos in your life your host is licensed marriage and family therapist dr colleen Mullen. dr colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades she's a private practice owner a chaostician and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life they may be new york times bestsellers key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen.
1: It's Dr. Colleen here, and I want to thank you for joining me on this special roundup episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. What I'm doing today is taking a handful of like some of my favorite episodes that I've done over the last five years, and I want to introduce them or reintroduce them to you. Uh, I know this year I've had a lot of new listeners and gosh, I'm so glad that you're here with me and going back and finding a new show that you like and you want to stick with. Sometimes we just don't have the time to go back over the old episodes, but since the show is designed to help you with every episode, learn a new way of managing chaos in your life, I thought, let me go back and like highlight some of my favorites. So I'm doing that for you, the new listener. And then for the old listeners, well, thanks a lot for sticking with me and It's been a while since for some of these episodes that I'm going to feature. And I thought, why don't I just remind you about what they have to offer? Because maybe they're worth a second listen, or maybe they're worth sharing with someone that you care about because they could benefit from the story or the tips that are contained in the episode. Because really, you know, this is at the end of 2020 and sort of goes without saying, but I'm definitely going to say it anyway. 2020 was a bitch, no matter how much or little you were affected by it. There's a strong need for healthy coping, for resilience, for resetting our mindsets, you know, in order to get through a lot of the days lately. So I figure that highlighting some of these people could help you glean a little bit of that from some of these past episodes. And I'm just going to feature, I think it's like five or six different episodes. So if one of them doesn't interest you, fast forward a few minutes and I'll be into the next one that I'm going to feature. And at the end of this, I am going to give a little update on the Susie Chronicles because that has remained one of the most listened to and engaged with episodes that I've had. And I figure you might want to have an update on how Susie's doing and how we're doing together in this new unique life. So here we go. Hey, it's Dr. Colleen here with a quick break to let you know what I've got going on over at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. That's the site where you can get some exclusive items just for supporting the show with a small contribution each month. I've got four levels to pick from, but the best value will be tier two, the chaos crushers Tier. For signing up to be a chaos crusher at just $9 a month, the big thing you're gonna get is three new self-help recordings each month done exclusively for my Patreon subscribers. You will also get a chaos crushing ebook and a shout out on the show for your support. Now, if you're in a position to support just a little bit more, there are ways to get even a 20 minute coaching call with me every month. Go over and check it out at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. And if you wish you could support the show, but it's just not in your budget to give a few dollars, that is perfectly okay. I am just glad that you're here with me on this podcasting journey. So let's get back into the show. I'm going to start with resilience. And in one of my early episodes, I interviewed a guy named Christian Moore. And Christian, I found him through his book, The Resilience Breakthrough. And I didn't know what I was getting into when I approached him to be on the podcast. And what I mean by that is that he was a tremendous storyteller and he just comes at you with his heart and a tremendous amount of positive energy.
0: Now, when I have a crisis or I have a challenge in my life, I literally get excited that I have an opportunity to approach this different. They're like, why did it take me 60 years to learn how to flip the switch? I really believe resiliency is a major social justice issue. In the next 20 years, it's going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Millions and millions of people will understand resiliency and where it comes from and millions and millions of people won't. And I, I really believe that resiliency is the great equalizer. It transcends socioeconomic status, culture, race, the neighborhood you grew up in, age, you know, all these different issues. It's the most powerful thing I've come across that really levels the playing field. I love sharing with kids who are growing up in the most difficult circumstances, you know, how to use the poverty, the divorce, the discrimination, the anger, the, the emotions that come from those issues as the reason to turn in their homework, to stay in school, to make better decisions. We are literally showing kindergartners how to flip this switch
1: when I reached out to him, I didn't know about his program. The program is called Why Try? It's a resiliency building program and it's implemented in like hundreds of schools across the country. I had no idea how in demand his work was. He had told me and shared with me that He does public speaking all the time. I think he told me something like like a couple of hundred times a year that he's doing speaking gigs, but at the time he had never done a podcast. So I shared with him that I was new to this too, so we would just get together and have a fun conversation. And it was, and it was his heartfelt, energetic story about where he came from and how he was able to learn to look past his own shortcomings that he was born into, and the physical insecurities that he had, and the self loathing that he adopted as a young man to become a leader in teaching resilience to both kids and adults. So I would encourage you to check that one out. Next up is my conversation with Dr. Mark Veterhold of the Virtual Reality Medical Center. And that medical center is right here in San Diego. And this was actually my very first episode. I did get to go in person and have this really cool experience where they let me try out some of the virtual reality equipment. So what the virtual reality medical center does is they help both civilians and active duty or veteran military personnel. What they do is on the therapy side of it with civilians, they can help people with all sorts of phobias and their website is vrphobia.com. So the phobias, they have like a flight simulator for those who have a fear of flying. They also have a car simulator for conquering, you know, like a fear of driving. You know, a lot of people develop that, maybe they've been in a car accident or something and they get really just fearful of being on the road again. They also treat like other fears that we hear about all the time, like claustrophobia, the vaccine starting, there might be a lot of people who fear needles, open spaces, and even spiders. And I am really glad that when I showed up to do this and they were like, hey, you want to try out some uh, equipment that they didn't hook me up to the spider? I don't know, I guess the spider simulator. <laughs> I don't think I would have been ready for that one. But if you have a fear of spiders, there's a place that can help you treat it through virtual reality. Kind of fascinating. But what I did get to do there is they introduced me to how they work with military troops, both pre and post combat. What they do is uh, their work is done designed to help decrease the incidence of combat trauma. And you might ask, how do they do that before they go off to combat? Like, how do you decrease the chances of them developing combat trauma before they go? Well, They showed me how they do that. And then on the flip side of the combat experience, they can work to decrease or heal the PTSD through the same VR equipment that, well, because it helps the soldier retell and re-experience situations so they can heal or make sense of them in a different way that can allow them to move forward in their life without hopefully those traumatic symptoms of post-traumatic stress.
2: Now, the way this works, there's really two main parts of it. The first part is exposing the patient, usually in a head-mounted display, in which they're fully immersed or present in, for example, a virtual airplane. Or they may be in front of a virtual podium in front of a virtual audience. The second part is we record their physiological signals, for example, their breathing rate, their heart rate, their skin temperature, with non-invasive sensors in real time. And so what we're able to do is we use a technique called cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And this type of therapy, which uses, uses the exposure model, by the way, has been recommended by the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Institute of Medicine. So it's been used for well over 40 years.
1: I love any clinic that works to find new and innovative ways to heal. All right, next up is a relationship topic about how to tell if you and your love are financially compatible. Jeff Motzki is a certified financial planner and CEO of Trilogy Financial in Southern California. I got excited to talk to Jeff after reading his book, The Couple's Guide to Financial Compatibility. Jeff has decades of experience working with couples, helping them plan their futures from financially getting ready to start a family, all the way to figuring out how to make the most of the retirement that they've invested or saved. Jeff and I talked about ways that couples can learn to talk about money between the two of them and also how to navigate those times in life when you, as maybe someone who is really into saving, pairs up with someone who might be a little bit more spendy. That's not a make or break deal in relationships, but you've got to be able to talk about it. And Jeff has ways that couples can do it. He even has a little assessment that you can take as part of the book. So I'll put links to all of that also in the show notes. A couple scores on opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, are they doomed? Can they get along?
3: Well, the shorter answer is yes, if they start to make changes. But the quiz itself, it, it's 34 questions. It breaks into four types of categories, or one of them is a lifestyle value type section. One of them is a risk type section when it comes to like their investments and so forth. Another one is their planning and their, their thought process on the planning side of things. And finally, they, they sit down and they talk about trust. And what I found when most people took the quiz is they scored fairly well on trust. They scored horribly on planning. So what the quiz does is it starts to get them to think about goals and planning and so forth. And then your part earlier about if you have a bender and a saver, that's pretty common in society that you've got one that spends more and one that wants to save more. And I think when you start to get people to think about their goals in life as a couple, then it becomes far easier to start getting them to think about planning and so forth. So if you've got somebody that's a really big saver and one that's a really big spender, but they both agree that, you know what, we want to have a house. All of a sudden, the the spender starts saying, is what I'm buying all this stuff worth foregoing not having a house? Or another great one is is a life event. They, ha- they have their first child and all of a sudden they start thinking differently about spending and saving because planning comes in because the natural thing for a, a new parent are to say, well, we want to start planning for our child's future. And let's just say it's a college fund. They may say that they're going to be more motivated to save for college now versus just spending like crazy.
1: We've got a few more episodes I'm going to tell you about, and I will end with a special announcement regarding the Susie Chronicles update. But before we get there, this episode that I'm going to tell you about right now is, besides all the Susie stuff, it's definitely one of the more personal interviews I conducted. And really, it's because half of the episode wasn't actually me doing the interview. It was an agreement that I had with my guest, Dr. Jonathan Singer, to interview me. You see, Dr. Singer is one of the leading experts on suicidology in the U.S., He's a professor at Loyola Marymount in Chicago and has spent much of his career learning, researching, writing, speaking, and teaching about suicidal behavior. His work has culminated in over 60 publications, including the 2015 book, Suicide in Schools, A Practitioner's Guide to Multi-Level Prevention, Assessment, Intervention, and Postvention suicide is already a major problem in the US, whether we're talking about kids or we're talking about adults. And, you know, just as a, for instance, the CDC looked at causes of death for men and suicide was already the number two killer of men under 45 years of age. And that's specifically why I had Dr. Singer on in the first place because I met Dr. Singer originally at the Podcast Movement Conference in Chicago back in 2016. He's been hosting the Social Work Podcast for about a decade now. And when we connected and I learned about his work, I shared with him my personal experience with losing my brother Scott to suicide in 2007. We stayed in contact over the years, and when the opportunity opened up, I had him on the show to educate the audience, obviously, about suicidal behavior and how to talk about it, how to look for it, how to recognize it. But it also gave me the space to open up about what I knew about my brother's struggle with depression and suicidal behavior that led to his death at 28 years old. I learned a long time ago that we should be talking to someone who is distressed over thoughts of killing themselves um, because I was doing it firsthand long before I ever entered a graduate class on psychology.
2: So when you hear me talk about suicide is something that doesn't have to happen,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: how does that make you feel about the fact that your brother actually died by suicide?
1: Guilty. It makes me feel remorseful. I was very involved with his suicide attempts through the years, so much so across the country. There were, one day there was a seven hour phone call In trying to prevent him from doing what he was telling me he was going to do to himself that ended with calling the police across the country after I knew where he was. And they picked him up and took him to the hospital. And the day before he actually did it and died by suicide. It's funny you say that. I always say he died from depression. Uh, I I don't, somehow I don't say suicide. I say he died from depression.
2: Is it easier to to think about him dying from depression than suicide?
1: I think I do it for other people.
2: Mm, like to protect them?
1: Right. When I say, oh, I have a, you know, I have three brothers, but one of them passed is what mm. I, you know, because <laughs> I say, oh, do you have siblings? Yeah. So I have a sister and three brothers, but one of them died a while ago. Oh, what happened? Oh, he died of depression. They get it. But I think I say it so I don't have to go into mm. suicide is such this word that I think I, well, I say I'm doing it for other people. I'm probably doing it for myself now that I'm saying it. <laughs> Like the day before, he did it. He called me and left me a voicemail that was so nonchalant. It was, hey, Kyle, I'm calling to see how you're doing. Everything's fine here. And the next day, he was dead. And so if you have struggled or you know someone who has struggled with depression, please take a listen to this episode. There may be information in it that can help. On that note, if you are struggling and you need just someone to talk to right now, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. There are counselors available 24-7. If you are connected to feeling that way and that kind of despair, please reach out to someone. You matter. And now shifting gears again, here we go. This time, I've got someone for you that I have grown to truly be fond of. I know the last thing he thinks of himself is as a superhero, but he truly is. First for himself, when I tell you a bit about what he went through, and now for others to help destigmatize PTSD among firefighters and first responders. I'm talking about retired fire chief Matt Schobert. Matt was an almost 30-year career firefighter between the territories in San Diego and Arizona. In 2014, he competed and completed the Ironman competition. You know, the full Ironman where you end with a marathon run after a bike ride and a swim. That's just incredible as it is. But his story is not going to be about his athletic abilities, but the condition of his body was thought to have actually saved his life So sometime after this Ironman competition, he was on the job when, you know, a tragic accident struck that left him at least temporarily without half of his jaw. And I'm saying that, but just think about what that means. He has since been put back together, of course, because that can be done these days. I remember reading sometime where he posted like that he was on surgery number 214 so let's just say he's had more than 214 surgeries and procedures to put his face back together. But his struggle has been that he is living with the repercussions of post-traumatic stress disorder. And even though some years have passed now, what he became acutely aware of was how little PTSD was talked about among those in the firefighting service. So much so that he realized that including himself, post-traumatic stress is rampant among firefighters But Matt's new life work is helping to raise awareness of this as a visceral problem within that field.
2: Interestingly enough, you know, people see me and I think they're expecting to see, I don't know what they're expecting to see, some kind of deformed monster or something. And while I do have substantial scarring on the left lower side of my face, I am pretty much intact. So I think I I look like I fully recovered. The the tough part is, mentally and emotionally, uh, I've got a little bit of work to do. I thought I had an understanding of what post-traumatic stress was before. I think everyone in the fire service has it to a certain degree. But I had no idea what PTSD becomes after, you know, you suffer with acute stress for a while and it transitions into PTSD. And suicidal thoughts, not that I would kill myself, but certainly um, those thoughts do enter my mind. I've often wished I would have just died in the field that day because life has has been difficult. I've had nightmares and and flashbacks and and regret, um, uncontrolled anger. My social filter seems to be non-existent, impulse control. But things are getting better and I'm recognizing the triggers and um, have been through extensive counseling in the process of trying to get involved and, and help out and give back and get the word out that PTS in the fire service is real. I would estimate that there's someone suffering at every fire station, at every fire department across the country, and they're suffering in silence because they're afraid to bring it up.
1: Matt has also been married longer than he was a firefighter, so I definitely would be remiss to not leave out the quietly strong and compassionate companion he has in his wife, Tammy, whose life was also changed forever on that day as well. After that initial meeting, Matt and I became friends. His story is one that I am continually inspired by. I mean, his story is one of a lesson in how no matter how much we can plan and do and live our lives according to our plan, Anything can happen, and adjusting is tough. Listen in for his awe-inspiring journey. In the show notes, I'll post a pic of Matt and I when I joined him on his fundraising team and went along and did the 9-11 stair climb with him in 2019. It was a really moving experience and definitely exhausting. It was so moving. It just seems to be a great event. Before I get to the update about my life with Susie, I want to give a quick couple of shout outs to a couple more episodes. The first one is with the Mess to Success Entrepreneur. That's a tongue twister. The Mess to Success Entrepreneur who can help you crush the ADD that you have, you know, attention deficit disorder, to live a life with more productivity and purpose. That episode is with my pal, Alan Brown of Crusher TV. You can check that one out if the subject sounds beneficial to you or someone you care about. And then we've got one that I thought was going to be for the guys, but like, I really enjoyed the book too. It's with my fellow therapist colleague, Quentin Hafner. Through his work with couples, focusing on growing them emotionally and his own journey into self-discovery about relationships, and then in his experience with jujitsu, he wrote the book, The Black Belt Husband, which I think is just a tremendous title for a book anyway, so it sounds cool, but then he takes the principles from jujitsu that he's learned, and applies them to marriage. I enjoyed this book so much that I did give it to my guy, Mike, and I have gifted it to a handful of friends that I know are interested in the subject. So now we get to the update on my life with Susie. Susie and I are almost two and a half years into this, as I say is my life as her sister mama, we call her myself now. She has adopted this idea that I am now her parent and I've kind of adopted that. I think you just kind of grow into that where you realize like kind of all she's got, which also put a lot of crazy pressure on my brain, if you can imagine, you know, she has done super well. If you follow me on, on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see posts that tag her and feature her because she's just doing so tremendously. She goes to a place called the Meeting Place Clubhouse during the day for life skill development. And that place has gone virtual in March. It's been amazing. They focus now instead of like all the practical skill building that they might've been doing before, they just shifted. And now they're teaching cooking over the internet. They're taking them on virtual walks every day. And when I say virtual, I mean, they literally get their phones on the Zooms. Susie's got some Bluetooth headset and she goes out and wanders the neighborhood for 30 minutes at a time, a couple of times a day. They do mindfulness practice. They do yoga. They do stretching. They do how to talk about their emotions. They do team meetings and team building. They do arts and crafts. It's amazing. So, Certainly, I'll put a link to the Meeting Place Clubhouse main website because they are throughout the country and different clubhouses exist in different areas in case you are in need of a service like that or looking for one. So I can't say enough good words about what they have done to transform her life. It's just, and that's also for social connection too. But on that note, Susie got so involved with the wellness part of this Susie has literally dropped almost 85 pounds, and I say almost it's like 80 to 85 depending on the day. She finished her first 5K, which was tremendous, and that doesn't sound like a lot to some people, but for Susie, it is. It might as well have been a marathon if this was five years ago. She would not leave the house; she was isolated. She barely—I don't even think some days she went up the stairs to go to bed. I think some days she just like lived in her recliner. So, this is a girl who has transformed. I'm gonna cry but I'm not. I'll cry after. I'm going to post a link to a little video that I did make documenting that day of Susie crossing the finish line and what it meant and everything else. I'll put that in the show notes. And on that with the weight loss, right? Then comes, you're like, oh, so the skin's hanging and then you can get a rash here and there and then you get some back pain. And I'm happy to announce, and with Susie's consent, I'm announcing this, that Susie has just gotten medically approved for breast reduction surgery, (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) those knockers got nowhere to go now that they're not filled with fat. So she's getting her body reconstructed in that way, so that it relieves those back struggles, and uh, helps her live even more healthy in her own body. I'm just so excited for her. She's excited. This girl, like, she doesn't shy away from a doctor's office, I'll tell you that she's excited. And that is scheduled for March. So then, you know, on the other end of things, you know, we've had a lot of advocacy have to happen. There's been fights with the Medi-Cal system where it took nine months where she was not getting certain aspects of her Medi-Cal, which allowed us to then not be able to bill for certain services that we participate in with in-home support services. And then we're in a current fight with social security who, you know, just on the short end of things have come after incremental overpayments apparently since since 1995. So I'm fighting that. And you can trust me, I'm going to fight hard. Hey, if we got to pay it back, we got to pay it back, but I'm not letting anybody take my sister down without a fight for that. So I will keep you up to date on that, but I'm going to do that in a different way. You know, this life together is very unique. And I'll say it's one of those things that like, no matter who I say this to, or once they figure out, oh, you're her sister and you're going to take care of this, like she's having oral surgery. It's going to cost me six grand. Yeah, I'm going to do it. What am I not going to do? I get that response from everybody, including my friends, including therapist colleagues are like, I don't know if I would take my sister in. Like, Really? Like, what are you supposed to do? So I did, you know, my parents didn't think my, my, my father was so successful financially when we were younger, he didn't even keep a life insurance policy. And my mother had one that basically was amounted to pennies. It wouldn't even have paid for six months of her rent. And so I think it's a unique situation. I know there are other people out there living like this and my partner's in on this too. And he is signing up and says he's in it for the long haul too. And I can't be more grateful for that, but we're going to do a new podcast. And I say, we, it's really going to be me telling the story and going into details and going into the family history, going into the dynamics That have shifted, the emotions that have come up, the fights with the system, and just putting it all out there. And I'm gonna do that primarily because I want a place to talk about it. So I thought I would just chronicle the story. So I'm gonna call it My Life with Susie. And Susie is aware of it, (laughs) she likes the title, and she likes the fact that our story is gonna be out there because it's worth talking about. This could have been a tremendous disaster. And it isn't. And there are things that we do and that we've learned to do along the way that are helping. And yeah, I'm going to tell that because I can't help it. I want to help others in telling this story. But it's really just going to be a place where I'm just going to tell little stories each time that I come on to the mic. So that's what we're going to do. So look for that called My Life with Susie, I'd say by the end of January. And that's that gosh, it was fun for me to go back and pick out, ooh, who do I want to feature as like my favorite ones? And that doesn't mean I didn't love certain other ones. But out of 60, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can only pick a handful. So I hope you enjoyed this recap. Thanks again for sticking with me. And I will be back in January with our regularly scheduled programming. Take care, have a nice holiday, and I'll see you in 2021. Okay, bye-bye.